And kids are dismissed to Bible adventures in uh, the nursery right now. We're doing a series called Change, where we're thinking about uh, what it looks like and how we change. There's things that hopefully we all would say that we would like to change in our lives, things that we would like to improve. And as I've mentioned here in this series, I hope that if we are part of the church together in this next year in 2020, that you could say, like, there's a positive change that I experienced. There's something that I can point to and say that in some area of my life, I was able to make this positive change. I was able to make uh, this movement. And there's and for all of us, there's probably several things that we want to accomplish, but I would encourage you to think of something that you would say, you know, I hope that I can improve in this area, that I can make this change, that there's something that is just on all of our hearts that we could connect with and think about. Because we all want to become more like Jesus. Our hope is that we are not just here, maybe somewhat regularly, or here every once in a while, just hanging out for a little while. Uh, we want ultimately to become more like Jesus, to actually put on the clothing of Christ in our life more and more. But change is hard. So we've talked through a couple of the principles. We're going to talk through another one uh, this morning. So back in the 1920s, uh, Henry Ford uh, was starting to um, sell his cars and had an issue on his assembly line. And he contacted a guy named Charles Steinmetz, who was a really famous, very intelligent guy. And so he came in and had this issue on the assembly line. He was able to figure out what was wrong with it uh, after about a half day's work. And Henry Ford was very thankful. He said, thank you so much for giving me this information. Um, can you... Uh, send me the bill. And so he did. And a few weeks later, he sent him this bill. And in 1920, it was for $10,000. And this was a very large sum of money in, 19, in the 1920s. And so Ford's like, hold up, hold up. That's, that's way too much. So he calls him and says, can we talk about this? Like, what exactly happened? Can you come in and talk? And Steinman said, no, I don't have time to come and talk to you, but I'll send you an invoice um, for what I did. So here was the invoice that he sent, um, <laughs> making chalk mark on generator where the problem was with the assembly line, $10, knowing where to make the mark, $9,000. $990, so that is $10,000 uh, total. And Henry Ford paid the bill after that point. And in reality, like, this is how it is when we have, like, experts who, who help us. They either, uh, it's whether you go to a doctor or you go to a lawyer and, you know, you spend 30 minutes with a lawyer and you get the bill, you're like, whoa, how is that even possible? But it's the, the expertise, knowing, like, what part of the law to talk about or knowing whatever it is that you need to do. Like, this is what, like, you're going to have to do. And this is what we pay uh, experts for. And knowing where to make the mark, knowing where to tinker on the assembly line, it costs something. The question that I have for us as we uh, continue to think about uh, this concept is, do you believe in, in God's spirit and presence? Do you believe enough in God to allow God to tinker in your life, in your heart? Are you willing to say, like, yeah, there's things that I need some help on. God, I need your spirit and your presence more to work in my life. So, yeah, come into my heart. Help me to recognize the parts that I still need work on. And as I've said throughout this series, my, one of my main things I want to communicate is that hopefully you're not struggling with the same sin five years from now that you are right now. That you're moving into more Christ-likeness, that you aren't just in this same place. You're still going to be a sinner five years from now. Sorry to spoil that, but you will still be working on stuff five years from now, but hopefully it's not the same stuff. 
Hopefully, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family can say, yeah, she seems a little more peaceful, or he's not as angry as he used to be, or, you know, I like actually talking with him. You know, it's, it's, I, he's made some, some progress. We are moving forward. Hopefully, we can say that. We can be honest and say, God, please, like, work on some part of my life. There's a book that came out a few years ago. Here's a picture of it by an author named Amy Cuddy, and she's done um, some TED Talks around this idea. She argues for, like, actually how important body language is when you're communicating with someone. Uh, but part of her study, she's a Harvard professor and researcher, is she found out that uh, people ask two questions when they are first interacting with you. But the first question is, can I trust you? Like when they're interacting for the first time is, you know, can, can I trust you? And the second question is, can I respect you? And generally in today's world, she argues, we jump to that second question of, can I respect you? So generally when we're having conversations with people, we say things like, you know, here's what I do. Here's some of the accomplishments that I have. Here's how you know that I have, you know, earned your, your trust and your respect. So generally we, we start with that second question without necessarily addressing the first, which is the foundation of of relationship. And actually, other research shows that relationships are best formed through vulnerability. And it's when you're actually vulnerable with someone and say, like, you know, I have this weakness. That's when you actually bond. And unfortunately, generally, we're kind of like just kind of putting up a front all the time. And some of that comes from back in the the long ago times where it was like fight or flight survival. So you had to like put up a front to make sure that you weren't weak. But in reality, like back in in that day, it was even more intense if you were like to run into someone like out in the stone age. It's like, is this person about to kill me or what's going to happen? Right. And so it was like, how can we establish trust? And so unfortunately, we sometimes jump to that second question instead of at first addressing like, can we trust each other? Can I trust you with you know, what is actually going on in my heart? Can I, I trust you with my weaknesses? Can I trust you with who I really am? And then we can move on to a conversation about respect and what that might look like. It's interesting that in John chapter 1, John says this about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I love how that ends. It's one of my favorite lines in scripture, full of grace and truth. And think about what that's saying. That's saying like 2,000 years before a Harvard researcher would say this, that Jesus comes full of grace and truth, that foundationally, Jesus has the grace to have a good relationship with you. Can you trust the grace of Jesus? John is saying yes. And then truth, secondly, that Jesus then is going to tell you like some good stuff about yourself, but also some truth. Like Jesus is competent to run our lives. I've heard it said that following Jesus, hopefully, in theory, will make you better at life. Do you believe that this is true, that Jesus is full of grace, that he invites you into relationship, that he first says, okay, let's establish this this relationship of trust, but then I'm going to call you to something else. I'm going to also challenge you with truth. So again, this is 2,000 years before uh, a researcher would say, this is the foundation of what humans need. John is telling us this is who Jesus is. 
And that's how Jesus was as he interacted with people. He was very loving and, and welcoming and, and surprisingly willing to hang out with people that in that culture were shocking that he would be hanging out with. And yet, he also says hard things to people too. He invites them into a deeper reality. I love the story of Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus says, you know, I'm going to go and pay back the people to an extravagant amount what I've wronged them. And Jesus doesn't go, no, you don't have to do that. Just hang out with me. It's all good. No, he says, truly salvation has come to this house because this guy's life has been changed. There's something miraculous that has happened here. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And we, as the gathered people of God, I think especially need to hear this. We've been studying the book of Revelation in our Sunday morning classes, and I'd love to have you come and be part of that discussion at 9.30 next week. But something that we've talked about a few times as we've discussed this during this, this series is the beginning of the book of Revelation. When we think of Revelation, we think of a bunch of weird images and, you know, God's judgment, like kind of on, on the world and, and what's happening. We think of perhaps evil and what's happening out there. But as Revelation begins, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, it first addresses the churches. So these letters to seven churches, and a spoiler alert, it's more good than bad, basically. There's, just a, there's some things that it's like, all right, you're doing all right on that. But there's a lot of like, whoa, you need to make some improvements and, and make uh, some changes. So when Revelation opens up, it's like, first, you know, examine yourselves. Don't just think that the judgment is like, you know, for people out there, we all need the opportunity uh, to actually experience the love of correction at times. And we know that this is true. We need people who love us enough to correct us at times. There's probably been moments in all of our lives that we could say, yeah, I'm really thankful that that person was in my life that was mentoring me that said that hard thing. And if we only have people around us that are yes people, then we see what happens with celebrities when that happens, right? Things, things just get a little bit out of whack. We need some people who are willing to say to us at times, hey, like, let's, let's work on that. I see this in you, and I'm worried about that. Or... Let's figure this out, like what exactly is going on? And so scripture would ask us to think about how Jesus, how God's spirit and presence can convict us and say, all right, what are some areas that we all need to grow in and move forward in? There is a point for all of us, I think we're going to have to sometimes recognize this is what we need to do. So we've been talking through, during this series, the eight steps of an organization called Celebrate Recovery, which does some fantastic work in recovery. And we've been talking about how generally when we think of uh, addiction and those kinds of things, we have certain sorts of things that we think are addictions. But in reality, like we all are addicted to something. Uh, I know for me, sugar's a problem. Like about two o'clock on every day, I'm like, all right, let's get some of that. And I'm I'm thinking of what that is. We could talk about phones. We could talk about all these things that we sometimes are, are addicted to instead of like the things that we really deeply desire in our hearts. And so I hope that, again, you're thinking of something that you can change in your life. And so the first principle that we looked at is this one, realize I'm not God, admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. That one's hard, right? That's a mouthful right there. Some of us are like, that's all I need to do for right now. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. And the, the second one is earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. So those are steps one and two. And as we see those, we could say that most of the world, I would say in general, 
believes in this. I know that like, uh, there's some fear at times about atheism being on the rise, but I think still stats say that around 90% of people still believe in, in a created being, that God um, created us. A lot of people uh, do believe that, and then many of them would say that God cares about the world, that there is this understanding that God cares for humanity and, and loves people. So I would say that the first couple steps are, I would say, somewhat uh, generally uh, accepted, but the third step is where I think it gets hard. That's consciously choose to commit all my life and my will to Christ's care and control. This step is, I think, where the rubber hits the road for a lot of us, even Christian people. Like, I don't know about that one. Like, I'll let Jesus take the wheel every once in a while. You know, like when things get really hard, you know, when I have a friend or somebody who's struggling with cancer, you know, I want to turn those prayers over to God. Or, you know, when I'm struggling, like it's right before a test, I'm going to say that prayer because I need the help. But all of my life? I don't know, that sounds like a lot, right? All is kind of a lot. It's kind of everything. I, can I really take that step? And this is where I think it gets hard, but it's so necessary for us at times to say, God, I, I need your help in my life. You're here for me, not just for an hour during the week, but all the time your presence is with me, and I need to take this step to say, God, I want to commit my life to you. And I think at this point, there's a lot of red tape that comes up that in all of our hearts causes us, I don't know that I can do that. The idea of red tape uh, actually comes, I was reading about this this week, it comes from uh, back in the medieval times, the uh, Henry VIII was wanting to get an annulment of his marriage, and there's a lot in church history that goes wrong after that, which I can't necessarily get into. But he was trying desperately to get the Pope to like allow this annulment, and he sent every single day stacks and stacks of papers to the Pope, and it was lined in this royal red tape. And so every single day there was just stuff coming to try and just get, basically to make sure that the Pope was just so swamped with all of this that there'd be nothing that he could do except just finally grant the thing. And again, there's a lot that comes after that. But this is where the idea of, of red tape comes, that there's all this stuff that he just has to cut through every single day. He had to have people helping him out uh, with that just to get it done. And there's all red tape in all of our lives that as we think about, okay, what is it that God is calling me to? How can I more consciously commit? There's things that stop us, that we struggle with. And you're not alone if you struggle with this step of thinking about how to consciously commit your life to God. The first thing I would say is, is pride. We have a lot of pride in all of us. One of the things that I think is especially true in the United States, uh, we have a lot of pride in our work ethic. You know, we have this idea, you know, build yourself up by your own bootstraps. And I'm not saying that, that working hard isn't a good thing, but we can start to think that, like, we're the ones who made this. You know, I work 60 hours a week or something, and I do all this, and so I have a lot of deep, like, pride in the sense of, of what I do. And there is a way that pride is positive, but it also can end up being very negative. One of the ways that we can sometimes experience this very negatively is just caring too much about what everybody thinks. For most of us, I think we probably need a handful of people, about five people or so, that you really care about what they think and you like allow yourself to be in relationship with them and sometimes have them correct you and sometimes have conversations. But oftentimes, we're not thinking of five people, we're thinking of everybody. 
Especially in the world today with social media, we're connected so much that you post something and it's like, oh, this person didn't like my status. I wonder what's, like, what's up. We throw these things out there and it's like, well, how am I being perceived? You know, what, what is it that, and we end up just having just way too many opinions. Scripture, I think, would say, what does God want you to do? What would the teachings of Jesus have you do? And yeah, there are some people that you need to be in close relationship with and have conversations at times and let them speak into your life as well. But it's probably way less people than you're allowing voice in your life right now. We sometimes need to think, how's my pride getting in the way? Another thing that I think as we think about change, it just comes immediately, I know for me, is fear of failure. That you've been convinced and convicted perhaps that, yeah, I want to change. I want to go volunteer more with my time. But, you know, I tried that last year and it didn't happen. You know, I've already tried to take that step and, and it didn't happen before. And so we just, instead of putting ourselves out there again, we're like, no, I, I just, I don't even want to take that step. So we have a fear of, of failure that holds us back from taking any steps. In the book that I'm reading, describing uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, for this series, the author tells the story of it, that he was at the zoo one time with an impala, the animal, not the car. And um, the, the impala, it was really interesting because he's walking uh, at, at, by the impala cage at, at the zoo, and the fence seemed like way too small for the impala. And he asked one of the people around, this seems ridiculous. It seems like this impala could just jump right out of there very easily and just run out of the zoo. That doesn't make any sense at all. And the person said, actually, what happens to an impala is they will only jump if they see where they're going to land. So as long as it's blocked from view, they're not going to have the ability to jump out of the cage, even though it seems like, come on, that would be very easy for that impala uh, to make that jump. And he was thinking about how somewhat sad that is. It's like this impala will live its life in this cage that it could easily jump out of for its entire life. He was thinking about how sad that is until he reflected on his own life. Come with me, this metaphor is a little weird at first, but think about like a, a, a zoo and you're thinking about yourself as someone would look at your life and perhaps walk away saying, gosh, it's so sad that he doesn't just jump out of that. Why doesn't she just get out of there? And there's stuff for all of us that we're just like happy living in this existence, knowing perhaps that, you know, I'm really called to like walk out of here. I'm called to live in this freedom and yet I'm afraid that it's not going to work out. I'm not really seeing where I'm going to land. And in fact, you know, I've tried this before. I've tried to make that switch. I've tried to change something. It just didn't really work last time, so I'm just going to stay here instead of actually living out my calling. That gets into worry as well. Worry is something that we all struggle with, especially in our world today. Unfortunately, it seems like the news is often bad, and so we're just kind of trying to figure out how do I live as a person of God in the world? One of the things that I think we all could collectively try and do, one of the things that's remarkable about Jesus is he's a non-anxious presence. 
he enters into situations that would cause everyone to be filled with anxiety, and he just lowers the temperature in the room. And what if that could be said about all of us, that when we enter, things get better and not worse? That we're able to just lower the anxiety. The number one command in Scripture is do not be afraid. It occurs uh, around 370 times. And in fact, when God shows up as an angel uh, to people, when the voice of God comes to people, generally the first thing that's said is, do not be afraid. Sometimes when we think about what God is calling us to, that's the first message we need to hear. All right, there's something that you have on your heart that God is, is maybe put in you that you need to step into or you have a change that's in mind. The first thing that you need to hear is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The words of Jesus are, are helpful here. If you go to the next slide for me. Sorry, I missed that one. Go ahead to the next one uh, from, from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. For all of us, I think we could try to memorize this passage and, and our, our life would be so much better. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that just means those who aren't believers, they run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, which we all can say amen to about that. And what if you could just commit that to memory? That that's the change that you make, is that you are going to commit that passage to memory and recite it in the morning and in the evening. Another thing that we struggle with when it comes to this is doubt. We struggle with believing Firstly, in ourselves, in our ability, and then secondly, then, believing in God. Do you believe that God has power to change something in your life? I've heard it said that one of the problems with the Western world is that we don't believe God can do anything. That we're somewhat masters of our domain, and we're pretty good, so we don't really believe that God can do anything. Do you believe that God's presence and power is in your life. And at this moment, you have the ability then, I think, to, to bring questions. God isn't afraid of your questions. God isn't afraid of your doubts. The doubts of yourself and the doubts that you might have of, of God. I love how Jesus interacts with who we call Doubting Thomas, which is actually somewhat of a interesting name because Doubting Thomas wants some confirmation and then Jesus gives it to him here in John. He says, 
Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when he first came, so he still has some questions. So the other disciples, they tell him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put his finger where the nails were and put his hand to his side, I won't believe. A week later, the disciples are together again. Thomas is with them. Jesus comes through the door, which is crazy, and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, which actually is the most profound profession of faith anywhere in the Gospels, said by doubting Thomas. I love how this interaction happens. I think when I prove someone wrong, I'm really ready to rub it in their face, right? Like if somebody doesn't believe that I can do anything, I'm just like ready to talk some smack and just ready to say, look at, look at you doubted me and now look at my unbelievable ability. That doesn't happen to me very often, so that's why I have to take, take advantage of it when, when it does. But Jesus, who has come back from the grave and then like there's rumbling, oh, Thomas doesn't believe, Jesus doesn't say, hey, yeah, look at me now, Thomas. I just pop through the door. Look at me now. He says to this guy who is a doubter, come on, touch my scars. You have doubts, you have questions? Come to me with those. You want to put your hands in these spots? I'm not mad. I'm not upset. Come and and learn. In Jude, which is a very weird little book in the New Testament, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. So if you have doubts, perhaps even about God's ability to work in your life, may you just allow those things to even be swallowed up and to say, God, I don't even know that you have the power to do this in my life. I ask that you would join me on this journey as I try. Lord, help my unbelief. So again, as we think about these steps, as we get further into the concept of what it looks like to change, we need an understanding of of God and God's presence, that God is still powerful and, and alive. And then secondly, that God loves us, that God cares about what we are doing, that it matters to God what we do in the world. And would you be willing to take the step and say, there's something that I need to turn over, God, and there are all these reasons why I don't want to. There's all this red tape. There's all these things that, like, as I even begin to process that in my mind, I've failed before. I don't necessarily want to take that step. I don't even know if you're powerful enough to do that. Maybe we just need to say, God, I'm going to trust in this moment that you are powerful, that you can still act, that you can do things in me and, and through me and still change the world that you have forever. Oh, there's some rain out there. Some really, God's like, yeah, I can. (laughs) What does it look like for us to say yes to God's work in us? Just like with Henry Ford paying that guy $10,000 to tinker a little bit, how do we say, God, you know, I, I trust that you still can do powerful things in the world, that you aren't done with the world yet. Just a couple weeks ago, my, my family was going through that sickness of death that everyone seems to have right now. Uh, it's like, it's, it's rough out there. Hopefully you, you haven't gotten it. But 
Uh, Mandy had it and then was over it, but one of the things that was most difficult for her as she had it was she had a really terrible sore throat and she needed some antibiotics. She ran the course of antibiotics and still had a really terrible sore throat, so she had that for another week and a half, and then she went to urgent care because it hadn't really gotten better, and uh, the urgent care doctor said, oh yeah, that's just like post-nasal drip. You just need to do a couple things and it'll be better. And then like a day it was gone because she did those couple things. And it makes me wonder how often there are things that if we just allowed God to work on in our life, like we go to doctors and we go to these experts and we go to these people and, and, you know, turn our hearts over and say, you know, basically do whatever you want with me, doctor, you know, fix the situation, lawyer, tell me what to do, like fix this. What if we could do the same with our lives and say, God, what is it that we're still struggling with that God's like, you just need to like do some post-nasal drip stuff. It's just going to be better for you. So we continue to think about change. What I would challenge you to think of is, what are you doing with your life that you can only accomplish with the help of God? What are you doing that perhaps as you even think about it, that, you know, I've been in this habit for so long, I just can't really give that up. What are you turning over and saying, God, I need your power and your strength and your spirit and your presence? Jesus is described as the great physician. The Holy Spirit is described as an advocate. We don't do this alone. Let's pray together as we close. Father, for all of us, I know there's things, there's things in my heart, in my life, that if I'm honest, is a little bit like a cage. And I think you're calling me, you're calling us to jump out, to break free. May we be honest with ourselves. May we be honest with some close friends and advisors as we think about the way forward with the addictions and the things that we all struggle with. Father, we believe that you are powerful, that you are active, that you are alive, that you know good things for us to do. May we walk in faith and trust. Let's not let the things that are in our past get in our way. May we truly consider who it is that you're calling us to be. Your son, Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Again, I'd like to challenge you to think of something that you would like to change. As we continue to think about this concept over the next several weeks, I hope that we can do this together. Will you answer yes to this question? Will you allow God to work on your life? Will you trust that God is truly the great physician? He has good things in mind for you. Let's stand and worship together.